0: Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, Maddie Sutton and TJ Briggs. Thank you both so much, and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. If you find value in Dreamful and would also like to contribute to the show, please visit dreamfulstories.com, where you can find info about the show, and on the support page, there's a link to leave a one-time donation with PayPal, get bonus episodes synced to Spotify with Supercast, or become a Patreon subscriber for bonus episodes and other perks. Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more. Stress shows up in so many ways, and speaking from experience, you should not wait until things are really bad to get help. That's why I'm so thankful this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Dreamful Bedtime Stories listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/dreamful. That's better h e l p.com/dreamful. I have been enjoying the story so much that I have decided to make The Wonderful Wizard of Oz a three-part series. This is part 2. So, snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams. The travelers had been walking along the yellow brick road for some time and had to navigate through some parts of the forest that were thick and ominous. To their great joy, the trees became thinner the further they advanced, and in the afternoon, they suddenly came upon a broad river, flowing swiftly just before them. On the other side of the water, they could see the road of yellow brick running through a beautiful country with green meadows dotted with bright flowers and all the road bordered with trees hanging full of delicious fruits. They were greatly pleased to see this delightful country before them. How shall we cross the river? asked Dorothy. That is easily done, replied the scarecrow. The tin woodman must build us a raft so we can float to the other side. So the woodman took his axe and began to chop down small trees to make a raft. And while he was busy at this, the scarecrow found on the river bank a tree full of fine fruit. This pleased Dorothy, who had eaten nothing but nuts all day, and she made a hearty meal of the ripe fruit. To be sure, the broad river now cut them off from this beautiful land, but the raft was nearly done, and after the tin woodman had cut a few more logs and fastened them together with wooden pins, they were ready to start. Dorothy sat down in the middle of the raft and held Toto in her arms. When the Cowardly Lion stepped upon the raft, It tipped badly, for he was big and heavy, but the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman stood upon the other end to steady it, and they had long poles in their hands to push the raft through the water. They got along quite well at first, but when they reached the middle of the river, the swift current swept the raft down the stream farther and farther away from the road of yellow brick, and the water grew so deep that the long poles would not touch the bottom. This is bad, said the Tin Woodman, for if we cannot get to the land, we shall be carried into the country of the Wicked Witch of the West, and she will enchant us and make us her slaves. And then I should get no brains," said the Scarecrow. And I should get no courage," said the Cowardly Lion. And I should get no heart," said the Tin Woodman. And I should never go back to Kansas," said Dorothy. We must certainly get to the Emerald City if we can," the Scarecrow continued. They were all tired out when they reached the shore at last and stepped off upon the pretty green grass, and they also knew that the stream had carried them a long way past the road of yellow brick that led to the Emerald City. They walked along listening to the singing of the bright-colored birds and looking at the lovely flowers, which now became so thick that the ground was carpeted with them. There were big yellow and white and blue and purple blossoms, besides great clusters of scarlet poppies, which were so brilliant in color they almost dazzled Dorothy's eyes. Are they beautiful? the girl asked as she breathed in the spicy scent of the flowers. They now came upon more and more of the big scarlet poppies, and fewer and fewer of the other flowers. And soon, they found themselves in the midst of a great meadow of poppies. Now it is well known that when there are many of these flowers together, Their odor is so powerful, that anyone who breathes it falls asleep, and if the sleeper is not carried away from the scent of the flowers, he sleeps on and on forever. But Dorothy did not know this, nor could she get away from the bright red flowers that were everywhere about. So presently her eyes grew heavy, and she felt she must sit down to rest but the Tin Woodman would not let her do this. We must hurry and get back to the road of yellow brick before dark, he said, and the Scarecrow agreed with him, so they kept walking until Dorothy could stand no longer. Her eyes closed in spite of herself, and she forgot where she was and fell among the poppies, fast asleep, "'What shall we do?' asked the tin woodman. "'If we leave her here, she will die,' said the lion. "'The smell of the flowers is killing us all. "'I myself can scarcely keep my eyes open, "'and the dog is asleep already.' "'It was true. "'Toto had fallen down beside his little mistress, "'but the scarecrow and the tin woodman not being made of flesh, we're not troubled by the scent of the flowers. Run fast, said the scarecrow to the lion, and get out this deadly flower bed as soon as you can. We will bring the little girl with us. But if you should fall asleep, you are too big to be carried. So the lion bounded forward as fast as he could go. In a moment, he was out of sight. So they picked up Toto and put the dog in Dorothy's lap. And then they made a chair with their hands for the seat and their arms for the arms and carried the sleeping girl between them through the flowers. They carried the sleeping girl to a pretty spot beside the river far enough from the poppy field to prevent her breathing any more of the poison of the flowers, and here they lay her, gently on the soft grass, and waited for the fresh breeze to waken her. "'We cannot be far from the road of yellow brick now,' remarked the scarecrow, as he stood beside the waking girl, for we have come nearly as far as the river carried us, It was some time before the cowardly lion awakened, for he had lain among the poppies a long while, breathing in their deadly fragrance, but when he did open his eyes, he was very glad to find himself still alive. We must journey on until we find the road of yellow brick again, said Dorothy, and then we can keep on to the Emerald City. So, the lion being fully refreshed and feeling quite himself again, they all started upon the journey, greatly enjoying the walk through the soft fresh grass, and it was not long before they reached the road of yellow brick and turned again toward the emerald city where the great Oz dwelt. The road was smooth and well paved now, and the country about was beautiful. So that the travelers rejoiced in leaving the forest far behind, and with it, the many dangers they had met in its gloomy shades. Once more they could see fences built beside the road, but these were painted green. And when they came to a small house, in which a farmer evidently lived, it was also painted green. The people were all dressed in clothing of a lovely emerald green color and wore peaked hats like those of the munchkins. This must be the land of Oz, said Dorothy, and we are surely getting near the Emerald City. The travelers continued on their way and soon saw a beautiful green glow in the sky, just before them. That must be the Emerald City, said Dorothy. As they walked on, the green glow became brighter and brighter, and it seemed that at last they were nearing the end of their travels. Yet it was afternoon before they came to the great wall that surrounded the city, It was high and thick and of a bright green color. In front of them and at the end of the road of yellow brick was a big gate, all studded with emeralds that glittered so in the sun that even the painted eyes of the scarecrow were dazzled by their brilliancy. There was a bell beside the gate and Dorothy pushed the button and heard a silvery tinkle sound within. Then the big gate swung slowly open, and they all passed through and found themselves in a high arched room, the walls of which glistened with countless emeralds. Before them stood a little man about the same size as the munchkins. He was clothed in green From his head to his feet, and even his skin was of a greenish tint, at his side was a large green box. When he saw Dorothy and her companions, the man asked, what do you wish in the Emerald City? We came here to see the Great Oz, said Dorothy. The man was so surprised at this answer, that he sat down to think it over. It has been many years since anyone asked me to see Oz, he said, shaking his head in perplexity. Anyhow, I am the guardian of the gates, and since you demand to see the great Oz, I must take you to his palace. But first, you must put on the spectacles. Why? asked Dorothy. Because, if you did not wear the spectacles, the brightness and glory of the Emerald City would blind you. Even those who live in the city must wear spectacles night and day. They are all locked on, for Oz so ordered it when the city was first built, and I have the only key that will unlock them. He opened the big box, and Dorothy saw that it was filled with spectacles of every size and shape. All of them had green glasses in them. The Guardian of the Gates found a pair that would just fit Dorothy and put them over her eyes. There were two golden bands fastened to them that passed around the back of her head, where they were locked together by a little key that was at the end of a chain the Guardian of the Gates wore around his neck. When they were on, Dorothy could not take them off as she wished, but of course she did not want to be blinded by the glare of the Emerald City, so she said nothing. Then the Green Man fitted spectacles for the Scarecrow, and the Tin Woodman, and the Lion, and even on little Toto, and all were locked fast with a key. Then the Guardian of the Gates put on his own glasses and told them he was ready to show them to the palace. Taking a big golden key from a peg on the wall, he opened another gate and they all followed him through the portal into the streets of the Emerald City. Even with eyes protected by the green spectacles, Dorothy and her friends were at first dazzled by the brilliancy of the wonderful city. The streets were lined with beautiful houses, all built of green marble and studded everywhere with sparkling emeralds. They walked over a pavement of the same green marble and where the blocks were joined together were rows of emeralds set closely and glittering in the brightness of the sun. The window panes were of green glass. Even the sky above the city had a green tint, and the rays of the sun were green. The guardian of the gates led them to the streets until they came to a big building exactly in the middle of the city, which was the Palace of Oz, the great wizard. There was a soldier before the door, dressed in a green uniform, and wearing a long green beard. Here are strangers, said the guardian of the gates to him, and they demand to see the great Oz. Step inside, answered the soldier, and I will carry your message to him. So they passed through the palace gates and were led into a big room with a green carpet and lovely green furniture set with emeralds. The soldier made them all wipe their feet upon a green mat before entering this room, and when they were seated, he said politely, Please make yourselves comfortable while I go to the door of the throne room and tell Oz you are here. They had to wait a long time before the soldier returned. Just then, A bell rang, and the soldier said to Dorothy, you may enter the throne room. He opened a little door, and Dorothy walked boldly through and found herself in a wonderful place. It was a big round room with a high arched roof, and the walls and ceiling and floor were covered with large emeralds set closely together. In the center of the room was a great light, as bright as the sun, which made the emerald sparkle in a wonderful manner. But what interested Dorothy most was the big throne of green marble that stood in the middle of the room. It was shaped like a chair and sparkled with gems, as did everything else. In the center of the chair Was an enormous head, without body to support it, or any arms or legs, whatever. There was no hair upon its head, but it had eyes and nose and mouth, and was bigger than the head of the biggest giant. As Dorothy gazed upon this in wonder and fear, the eyes turned slowly and looked at her sharply and steadily. Then the mouth moved, and Dorothy heard a voice say, I am Oz, the Great and Terrible. Who are you, and why do you seek me? I am Dorothy, the small and meek, I've come to you for help." The eyes looked at her thoughtfully for a moment. Then said the voice, "...where did you get the silver shoes?" "...I got them from the Wicked Witch of the East, when my house fell on her and killed her," she replied. "...where did you get the mark upon your forehead?" continued the voice. "'That is where the good witch of the north kissed me when she bade me goodbye and sent me to you,' said the girl. Again the eyes looked at her sharply, and they saw she was telling the truth. Then Oz asked, "'What do you wish me to do?' Send me back to Kansas, where my Aunt Em and Uncle Henry are, she answered earnestly. I don't like your country, although it is so beautiful, and I am sure Aunt Em will be dreadfully worried over my being away so long. Well, said the head, I will give you my answer. You have no right to expect me to send you back to Kansas unless you do something for me in return. In this country, everyone must pay for everything he gets. If you wish me to use my magic power to send you home again, you must do something for me first. Help me, and I will help you. What must I do?" asked the girl. "'Kill the Wicked Witch of the West,' answered Oz. "'But I cannot,' exclaimed Dorothy, greatly surprised. "'You killed the Witch of the East, and you wear the silver shoes, which bear a powerful charm. "'There is now but one Wicked Witch left in all this land, "'and when you can tell me she is dead, I will send you back to Kansas.' but not before. The little girl began to weep. She was so much disappointed. Then, it was the scarecrow's turn. I am only a scarecrow, stuffed with straw, therefore I have no brains, and I come to you praying that you will put brains in my head instead of straw so that I may become as much a man as any other in your dominions. I never grant favors without some return, said Oz, but this much I will promise. If you will kill for me the wicked witch of the West, I will bestow upon you a great many brains and such good brains that you will be the wisest man in all the land of Oz. So the tin woodman stepped forward. I am a woodman and made of tin. Therefore I have no heart and cannot love. I pray you to give me a heart that I may be as other men are. If you indeed desire a heart, You must earn it." "'How?' asked the woodman. "'Help Dorothy to kill the Wicked Witch of the West,' replied the Head. "'When the Witch is dead, come to me, and I will then give you the biggest and kindest and most loving heart in all the land of Oz.'" So the Tin Woodman was forced to return sorrowfully to his friends, and the lion took his turn. I am a cowardly lion, afraid of everything. I come to you to beg that you give me courage, so that in reality I may become the King of Beasts, as men call me. The voice said, Bring me proof that the wicked witch is dead. In that moment, I will give you courage. But so long as the witch lives, you must remain a coward. The four companions left the throne room, unhappy with their interview with the wizard. What shall we do now? asked Dorothy sadly. There is only one thing we can do returned the Lion, and that is to go to the land of the Winkies, seek out the Wicked Witch, and destroy her. "'But suppose we cannot,' said the girl. "'Then I shall never have courage,' declared the Lion. "'And I shall never have brains,' added the Scarecrow, and I shall never have a heart spoke the Tin Woodman. "'And I shall never see Aunt Em and Uncle Henry,' said Dorothy, beginning to cry. "'I suppose we must try it, but I am sure I do not want to kill anybody, even to see Aunt Em again.'" Therefore, it was decided to start upon their journey the next morning. And the woodman sharpened his axe on a green grindstone and had all his joints properly oiled. The scarecrow stuffed himself with fresh straw, and Dorothy put new paint on his eyes that he might see better. They went to bed quite early and slept soundly until daylight, when they were awakened by the crowing of a green cock that lived in the backyard of the palace and the cackling of a hen that had laid a green egg. The soldier with the green whiskers led them through the streets of the Emerald City until they reached the room where the guardian of the gates lived. This officer unlocked their spectacles to put them back in his great box. And then, he politely opened the gate for our friends. Which road leads to the Wicked Witch of the West? asked Dorothy. There is no road, answered the Guardian of the Gates. No one ever wishes to go that way. How then are we to find her and destroy her? inquired the girl. "'Oh, that is different,' said the guardian of the gates. "'No one has ever destroyed her before, "'but take care, for she is wicked and fierce "'and may not allow you to destroy her. "'Keep to the west where the sun sets, "'and you cannot fail to find her.' "'They thanked him and bade him goodbye "'and turned toward the west.' walking over fields of soft grass, dotted here and there with daisies and buttercups. The Emerald City was soon left far behind. As they advanced, the ground became rougher and hillier, for there were no farms nor houses in this country of the west, and the ground was untilled. In the afternoon, the sun shone hot on their faces, for there were no trees to offer them shade, so that before night Dorothy and Toto and the lion were tired, and lay down upon the grass and fell asleep, with the woodman and the scarecrow keeping watch. Now the Wicked Witch of the West had but one eye, yet that was as powerful as a telescope and could see everywhere. So as she sat in the door of her castle, she happened to look around and saw Dorothy lying asleep with her friends all about her. They were a long distance off, but the Wicked Witch was angry to find them in her country. So she called a dozen of her slaves, who were the Winkies, and gave them sharp spears, telling them to go to the strangers and destroy them. The Winkies were not a brave people, but they had to do as they were told, so they marched away until they came near to Dorothy. Then the lion gave a great roar, sprang towards them, and the poor Winkies were so frightened that they ran back as fast as they could. When they returned to the castle, the Wicked Witch beat them well with a strap and sent them back to their work, after which she sat down to think what she should do next. She was a powerful witch, as well as a wicked one, and she soon made up her mind how to act. There was in her cupboard a golden cap with a circle of diamonds and rubies running around it. This golden cap had a charm. Whoever owned it could call three times upon the winged monkeys who would obey any order they were given. no person could command these strange creatures more than three times. Twice already, the Wicked Witch had used the charm of the cap. Once was when she had made the Winkies her slaves and set herself to rule over the country. The winged monkeys had helped her do this. The second time, was when she had fought against the great Oz himself and driven him out of the land of the west. The winged monkeys had also helped her in doing this. Only once more could she use this golden cap, for which reason she did not like to do so until all her other powers were exhausted. So the Wicked Witch took the golden cat from her cupboard and placed it upon her head. The sky was darkened, and a low rumbling sound was heard in the air. There was a rushing of many wings, a great chattering and laughing, and the sun came out of the dark sky to show the Wicked Witch, surrounded by a crowd of monkeys, each with a pair of immense and powerful wings on his shoulders. One, much bigger than the others, seemed to be their leader. He flew close to the witch and said, you've called us for the third and last time. What do you command? Go to the strangers who are within my land and destroy them all except the lion said the Wicked Witch. Bring that beast to me, for I have a mind to harness him and make him work. Your comments shall be obeyed, said the leader. And then, with a great deal of chattering and noise, the winged monkeys flew away to the place where Dorothy and her friends were walking. So the monkeys seized the tin woodman and carried him through the air until they were over a country, thickly covered with sharp rocks. Here they dropped a poor woodman, who fell a great distance to the rocks, where he lay so battered and dented that he could neither move nor groan. Others of the monkeys caught the scarecrow, and with their long fingers pulled all the straw of his clothes and head. They made his hat and boots and clothes into a small bundle and threw it into the top branches of a tall tree. The remaining monkeys threw pieces of stout rope around the lion and wound many coils about his body and head and legs until he was unable to bite or scratch or struggle in any way. Then they lifted him up and flew away with him to the witch's castle where he was placed in a small yard with a high iron fence around it so that he could not escape. But Dorothy, they did not harm at all. She stood with Toto in her arms, watching the sad fate of her comrades and thinking it would soon be her turn. The leader of the winged monkeys flew up to her. His long, hairy arms stretched out and his ugly face grinning terribly, but he saw the mark of the good witch's kiss upon her forehead and stopped short, motioning the others not to touch her. We do not harm this little girl, he said to them, for she is protected by the power of good and that is greater than the power of evil. All we can do is to carry her to the castle to the Wicked Witch, and leave her there." So, carefully and gently, they lifted Dorothy in their arms, and carried her swiftly through the air, until they came to the castle, where they set her down upon the front doorstep. Then the leader said to the witch, we have obeyed you as far as we were able. The Tin Woodman and the scarecrow are destroyed, and the lion is tied up in your yard. The little girl, we dare not harm, nor the dog she carries in her arms. Your power over our band is now ended, and you will never see us again. Then, all the winged monkeys, with much laughing and chattering and noise, flew into the air and were soon out of sight. The Wicked Witch was both surprised and worried when she saw the mark on Dorothy's forehead, for she knew well that neither the winged monkeys nor she herself dare hurt the girl in any way. She looked down at Dorothy's feet and seeing the silver shoes began to tremble with fear, for she knew what a powerful charm belonged to them. At first, the witch was tempted to run away from Dorothy, but she happened to look into the child's eyes and saw how simple the soul behind them was, and that the little girl did not know of the wonderful power the silver shoes gave her. So the wicked witch laughed to herself, and thought, I can still make her my slave, for she does not know how to use her power. Then she said to Dorothy, harshly and severely, Come with me, and see that you mind everything I tell you, for if you do not, I will make an end of you, as I did of the Tin Woodman. And the scarecrow. Dorothy followed her through many of the beautiful rooms in her castle until they came to the kitchen, where the witch bade her clean the pots and kettles and sweep the floor and keep the fire fed with wood. Dorothy went to work meekly, with her mind made up to work as hard as she could for she was glad the wicked witch had decided not to kill her. With Dorothy hard at work, the witch thought she would go into the courtyard and harness the cowardly lion like a horse. It would amuse her, she was sure, to make him draw her chariot wherever she wished to go. But as she opened the gate, the lion gave a loud roar and bounded at her so fiercely. That the witch was afraid, and ran out and shut the gate again. If I cannot harness you, said the witch to the lion, speaking through the bars of the gate, I can starve you. You shall have nothing to eat until you do as I wish. So after that, she took no food to the imprisoned lion. Dorothy's life became very sad as she grew to understand that it would be harder than ever to get back to Kansas. Sometimes she would cry bitterly for hours, with Toto sitting at her feet and looking into her face, whining dismally to show how sorry he was for his little mistress. Now, the wicked witch had a great longing to have for her own the silver shoes which the girl always wore. She had used up all the power of the golden cap, but if she could only get hold of the silver shoes, they would give her more power than all the other things she had lost. She watched Dorothy carefully to see if she ever took off her shoes, thinking she might steal them. But the child was so proud of her pretty shoes that she never took them off except at night, and when she took her bath. The witch was too much afraid of the dark to dare go in Dorothy's room at night to take the shoes, and her dread of water was greater than her fear of the dark, so she never came near when Dorothy was bathing. Indeed. The old witch never touched water, nor ever let water touch her in any way. But the wicked creature was very cunning, and she finally thought of a trick that would give her what she wanted. She placed a bar of iron in the middle of the kitchen floor, and then, by her magic arts, made the iron invisible to human eyes. So that when Dorothy walked across the floor, she stumbled over the bar, not being able to see it, and fell at full length. She was not much hurt, but in her fall, one of the silver shoes came off, and before she could reach it, the witch had snatched it away and put it on her own skinny foot. The wicked woman was greatly pleased with the success of her trick, for as long as she had one of the shoes, she owned half the power of the charm, and Dorothy could not use it against her, even had she known how to do so. The little girl, seeing she had lost one of her pretty shoes, grew angry and said to the witch, Give me back my shoe. I will not, retorted the witch, for it is now my shoe and not yours. You are a wicked creature, cried Dorothy. You have no right to take my shoe from me. I shall keep it just the same, said the witch, laughing at her. And some day, I shall get the other one from you too. This made Dorothy so very angry that she picked up the bucket of water that stood near and dashed it over the witch, wetting her from head to foot. Instantly, the wicked woman gave a loud cry of fear, and then, as Dorothy looked at her in wonder, the witch began to shrink and fall away. See what you have done, she screamed. In a minute, I shall melt away. I'm very sorry indeed, said Dorothy, who was truly frightened to see the witch actually melting away like brown sugar before her eyes. Didn't you know the water would be the end of me? asked the witch, in a wailing, despairing voice. Of course not, answered Dorothy. How should I? The witch fell down in a brown, melted, shapeless mass and began to spread over the clean boards of the kitchen floor. Seeing that she really had melted away to nothing, Dorothy drew another bucket of water and threw it over the mess. She then swept it all out the door, After picking out the silver shoe, which was all that was left of the old woman, she cleaned and dried it with a cloth and put it on her foot again. Then, being at last free to do as she chose, she ran out into the courtyard to tell the lion that the Wicked Witch of the West had come to an end and that they were no longer prisoners in a strange land. The Cowardly Lion was much pleased to hear that the Wicked Witch had been melted by a bucket of water, and Dorothy at once unlocked the gate of his prison and set him free. They went in together to the castle where Dorothy's first act was to call all the Winkies together and tell them that they were no longer slaves. There was great rejoicing among the Yellow Winkies, for they had been made to work hard during many years for the Wicked Witch, who had always treated them with great cruelty. They kept this day as a holiday, then and after, and spent the time in feasting and dancing. If our friends, the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman, were only with us, said the lion, I should be quite happy. Don't you suppose we could rescue them? asked the girl anxiously. We can try, answered the lion. So they called the Yellow Winkies and asked them if they would help to rescue their friends. And the Winkies said that they would be delighted to do all in their power for Dorothy who had set them free from bondage. So she chose a number of the winkies who looked as if they knew the most and they all started that way. They traveled that day and part of the next until they came to the rocky plain where the tin woodman lay all battered and bent. His ax was near him but the blade was rusted and the handle broken off short. The Winkies lifted him tenderly in their arms, and carried him back to the Yellow Castle again. When they reached the castle, Dorothy said to the Winkies, Are any of your people tinsmiths? Oh yes, some of us are very good tinsmiths, they told her. Then bring them to me, she said. And when the tinsmiths came, bringing with them all their tools and baskets, she inquired, Can you straighten out those dents in the tin woodman and bend him back into shape again and solder him together where he is broken? The tinsmiths looked the woodman over carefully and then answered that they thought they could mend him so he would be as good as ever. So they set to work in one of the big yellow rooms of the castle and worked for three days and four nights, hammering and twisting and bending and soldering and polishing and pounding at the legs and body and head of the Tin Woodman, until at last he was straightened out into his old form, and his joints worked as well as ever. To be sure, There were several patches on him, but the tinsmiths did a good job, and as the woodman was not a vain man, he did not mind the patches at all. When, at last, he walked into Dorothy's room and thanked her for rescuing him, he was so pleased that he wept tears of joy, and Dorothy had to wipe every tear carefully from his face with her apron so his joints would not be rusted. At the same time, her own tears fell thick and fast at the joy of meeting her old friend again, and these tears did not need to be wiped away. As for the lion, he wiped his eyes so often with the tip of his tail that it became quite wet, and he was obliged to go out into the courtyard and hold it in the sun till it dried. If only we had the Scarecrow with us again," said the Tin Woodman when Dorothy had finished telling him everything that had happened, "...I should be quite happy." We must try to find him, said the girl. So she called the Winkies to help her, and they walked all that day and part of the next, until they came to the tall tree in the branches, of which the winged monkeys had tossed the Scarecrow's clothes. It was a very tall tree, and the trunk was so smooth that no one could climb it. But the Woodman said at once, I'll chop it down, and then we can get the Scarecrow's clothes. Now while the tinsmith had been at work, mending the Woodman himself, Another of the Winkies, who was a goldsmith, had made an axe handle of solid gold and fitted it to the woodman's axe instead of the old broken handle. Others polished the blade until all the rust was removed and it glistened like burnished silver. As soon as he had spoken, the Tin Woodman began to chop, and in a short time the tree fell over with a crash. When the scarecrow's clothes fell out of the branches and rolled off on the ground, Dorothy picked them up and had the Winkies carry them back to the castle, where they were stuffed with nice, clean straw, and behold, here was the scarecrow, as good as ever thanking them over and over again for saving him. Now, they were reunited. Dorothy and her friends spent a few happy days at the Yellow Castle, where they found everything we needed to make them comfortable. But one day, the girl thought of Aunt Em, and said, we must go back to Oz and claim his promise. Yes, said the woodman, At last I shall get my heart. And I shall get my brains, added the scarecrow joyfully. And I shall get my courage, said the lion thoughtfully. And I shall get back to Kansas, cried Dorothy, clapping her hands. Oh, let us start for the Emerald City. Dorothy went to the witch's cupboard to fill her basket with food for the journey, and there she saw the golden cap. She tried it on her own head, and found that it fitted her exactly. She did not know anything about the charm of the golden cap, but she saw that it was pretty so she made up her mind to keep it. Then, being prepared for the journey, they all started for the Emerald City, and the Winkies gave them three cheers and many good wishes to carry with them.